Welcome to CareerPod, brought to you by Transition Solutions. Your host for today's episode is our founder and CEO, Mr. Fred Studley. Michael Melford is a master photographer from National Geographics. Michael talks about his vast experiences in this episode. He shares his advice on skills required to be a professional photographer, the value of relationship building and mentoring. Michael also shares many travel experiences involving photography and the importance of preparation and patience. A great episode. Hello, Michael. Uh, Welcome to CreaPod. Well, uh, thank you, and it's good to be here. Well, good. So uh, why don't we go back to the beginning? How about your early life in education and how it may have influenced your career choice into photography? Well, I was... uh pretty lucky to go to a university that was liberal arts. I went to Syracuse. I went originally for engineering, but that didn't last very long. So I was able to take a lot of other courses to kind of kick around what really lit my fire. And uh, what I came up with was art history. And I really enjoyed looking at art and composition and lighting And one day I took a photography course, or not one day, but in my sophomore year, I took a photography course, and uh, that uh, lit my fire, and I knew what I wanted to do from that point on, and that's all I've done ever since. That's great. You're fortunate you had focus early, and and you stayed with that. What was your first camera? Who gave you your first camera, or did you buy it yourself? No, actually, I was uh, hitchhiking around Germany and actually stayed with a gentleman up in Hamburg who was an art director at a major corporation there, and he had a unique vision himself, and he took me to the store where I bought a Pentax Asahi, and uh, I bought that, and when I bought that, he said an interesting thing to me. He said, well, now you have a tool that let you express your feelings. Okay. And that was not something that I intended to do with my camera, but uh, I was just going to document my trip around Europe. But uh, he opened up uh, Pandora's box by saying that. When you started out, it it wasn't going to be professional and you were going to navigate through uh, Europe. Uh, when did you the button click that you wanted to make this a profession? Oh, I I would say when I was back at Syracuse and probably the next year, my junior year, uh, I ended up going back to Germany in a summer course with Syracuse and uh, studying for the summer at AGFA, which was the equivalent of Kodak uh, in Europe. And... Uh, I think at that point, it was pretty serious obsession. and uh, But I never really thought that I would, at that point, it was not my intention really to make a living as a commercial photographer. Um, I had a professor at Syracuse who I never took a course with, partly because he said one day, candidly, that he never picked up a camera unless he was making money. And that was blasphemy for me. Uh, So uh, anyways, um, you know, I majored in photography at Syracuse and uh, 
when I got out, I came to New York City for about two weeks. Being a country boy, uh, I got out of town and didn't return uh, to start at the bottom and starve until five years later. All right. And and you, you went back to New York. And what was that first position? Or were you working for an organization when you first started? Or were you freelancing left and right? Uh, actually, the decisive moment for me, I was actually living on a commune in upstate New York. And I had taken a picture one day in the fall. And uh, when the Back in those days, you would take your film and put it in a little mailer and send it off to Kodak. Right. And about two weeks later, you'd get the film back. And I looked at one of the pictures that I took, and it spoke to me. It basically said, this is what you are meant to do, and you should go to New York and make a career. So I came to New York City. I had a friend who I got... I was set up to stay with. I got a job freelancing for another photographer who was also very generous. And he basically taught me business while I taught him photography. And, uh, and that was uh, a year long apprenticeship working for him. And then when I went out on my own, uh, as luck would have it, I started getting jobs, uh, right away and uh, it was a pretty pretty easy transition um and it kept building on itself all right well that, that's interesting uh from your perspective what are the the skills experiences kind of credentials that uh you really have to have to enter the field in a serious way um it's a completely different field now digital has changed everything uh, it's much easier for everyone to have a camera and make a decent picture and uh, either before uh, in the camera or afterwards on the computer, which right. did not apply back then. You had yeah. to be a craftsman back then. But today, to enter the field of photography, you can't just be good at photography, you really have to be good at blogging and social media and video and drones and anything that you can. It's a multimedia experience today. And uh, the field is really crowded as a result of the amazing technology that we have. Okay. That's interesting in a lot of jobs where technology is uh, enriched the field, but also uh, is taken away, as you say, the artistry uh, involved in it. Uh, is that the same in travel and adventure photography? Well, first of all, if you want to be successful, really successful, if you want to work for National Geographic, you just have to give up your life, period. Okay. So uh, the, the picture editor might like to say, would you want to be a National Geographic photographer or do you want to have a life? <laughs> um, so, and I think that applies even more so today. With travel and adventure photography, it, the technology is probably even more advanced where 
30 years ago, I could go somewhere, let's say Angkor Wat in Cambodia at sunrise, and I'd be the only one there. And But today, if you want to go somewhere, you can Google anywhere you want to go. You can see what the pictures look like. You can go on Google Earth, see what the other options are on where you would like to photograph. You can look and find places to stay, the best places to get there. So, in other words, you know, when I go anywhere now in the world, it, I feel like I have to or I do have to share uh, the perfect position for a sunrise or sunset with 20, 30, 40, or 500 people. Okay. Um, it did not used to be like that when you had to figure it all out yourself. Right. Um, so, yeah, the technology has made it incredibly easy to for everyone to travel and be a travel photographer. Okay. Who would you point to as or one or two of the most important mentors you've had in your career? Photographer that I worked for uh, as an apprentice uh, was instrumental in the early days of that. And then at, in the latter days, there was a editor, a picture editor at National Geographic, a couple of them who really were incredibly supportive and uh, helped me to have a really nice 18 story career at National Geographic, which uh, is next to impossible to get into. Right. Yeah, you have you carry the title uh, Master Photographer for Nat Geo, and that's well earned. What kind of advice, like the editors, did they push you uh, into different directions or challenged you? And what kind of uh, impact did they have specifically? The encouragement that I got there uh, was amazing. Um, it made me feel like I could pretty much do anything. And then uh, sometimes they would throw me a curveball because I am known as a landscape photographer. That's where my love is. Yeah. Um, but I would do a story uh, for them on Herod the Great in Israel and Palestine, as well as uh, solar technology. Okay. Uh, and this this same relationship I had uh, there, uh, I also had early in my career with Life Magazine. So uh, I was lucky enough to get my foot in the door also at Life Magazine early on. And the same thing happened there. They would throw me all kinds of different kinds of assignments from shooting fashion to still life to gardens to adventure. And uh, if I tripped and fell, then the <laughs> usual answer was, okay, this didn't work out. Here's a new assignment. Right. How about uh, the basic tasks and responsibility of the photographer? It's, it's much more than point and shoot, uh, you know, getting assignments, planning equipment. Can you just talk a little bit about that, elaborate on what the, the core responsibilities are? Well, you know, I think that photography or to be successful as a photographer is pretty much 
parallel to being successful in almost any career in that it is problem solving. So you are given an assignment. You have to, you have to figure out what's the best way to do it and, uh, and not trip and fall on along the way. And if For I can me, interject, can, can you give me an example yeah. of uh, a recent problem that uh, over the last couple of years that you faced and what you had to do to overcome it? Let's say you have a particular shoot that you have to do. It involves an airplane and it fall, involves people. You have to figure out, you know, what is the right location to photograph, what time of day, because you may only have that person or that plane or whatever it is for about an hour at the most. And you have to figure out how to get there, who to contact, to arrange what you need, whether you need uh, electricity for lighting. Um, it's any number of things. It's just like if you were going to take a trip right. and you didn't, uh, have somebody else do it all for you. You have to do it all yourself. And uh, I think that's just basic for every profession. Right. The other part of uh, the job, I suspect, and it it tends to be a trap for a lot of professionals, and that's the area of Uh, self-promotion. You can have Nat Geo post all your photos, but you are in business with other uh, revenue streams, and you have to be, I suspect, visible in all kinds of social media, and you have to have a presence and so forth. Uh, is that a, a big challenge for most professionals? It's mandatory to be successful. You've got to have your name out there and as, and as in as many venues as possible. So it's not just enough to be photographed in National Geographic and call yourself a geographic photographer. If you want to be successful, you know, you have to be doing Facebook and Instagram and blogging and any number of uh, possibilities that exist. All right. Now, anybody listening, they can go to see some of your ad, and I prefer to it as ad, at michaelmelford.com. Uh, and they can lead you to a number of Facebook and Instagram and everything else. Uh, how about just general advice to others in in your career field of photography, professional photography? Any couple pieces of advice? When I started out, uh, I wrote two letters to two very famous photographers, and uh, I was very happy that they both wrote back. One of them wrote back and said, you know, if you love photography, perhaps you don't have to make a living at photography. You could be a doctor or an engineer and and do photography on the side. (laughs) Well, uh, I did not listen to that person. Um, And the other person, you know, was discouraging. And about making a living at at photography in general, not to me specifically. And I didn't listen to that person either. So, you know, if you want to do something, whatever it is, if you are committed to it and you love doing it, then it's not work. And you just love doing it, that you will be successful at whatever level uh, that may be. And if it means shooting weddings, which is a really a good way to make a living as a photographer today. Right. Um, and then doing your own artwork 
on the side, then so be it. And not everybody gets to work for National Geographic, even the most amazing photographers. Right. Uh, how about if the amateur photographers listening to this, uh, what advice, you know, two or three things, uh, you do run a number of workshops for professionals, but amateurs, uh, what, what advice would you give them? The advice for everybody, whether you are, you know, whether you have a mobile phone or you're a serious uh, digital SLR photographer, you know, the advice is to get up early and get out there right. and not just stay inside like I am doing on this beautiful snowy day in Minnesota. <laughs> okay. Yeah, do you, and I guess you have your camera with you at all times, whether you're skiing or riding a bike. Uh, is, is there any golden rule you always take some form of camera with you? Well, my mobile phone's always in my pocket. Right. And so, uh, but no, I think it's also equally important to put down the camera. One of my most favorite things to do is to take a walk without a camera. Right. And okay. to look and to listen uh, to uh, my surroundings. All right. Now, uh, clearly, uh, this was a calling. You, it was, uh, you had a passion about it. Uh, why don't you elaborate on your satisfaction after a, a good shoot currently? What, what gives you satisfaction? Just to be out there, to hike up a mountain in the dark and to be on top of a mountain at sunrise. You know, I am so uh, in the moment with a camera that, you know, all other thoughts have gone away. And I think this is why there are a lot of amateur photographers it's the same sort of thing as bird watching or fishing or maybe golf. I'm not a golfer, but it puts you in the moment. And uh, that's what I love about photography. Um, I'm not thinking about the stock market or yeah. my kids or anything else that might bother me. <laughs> so uh, it, uh, and it's a vehicle for that, for bringing you in the moment. And then, of course, I always have to remember or really appreciate when I am got that shot in the can, to put the camera down and actually look around and go, wow, yeah. I was here, right. you know, and take it to the next level of enjoyment of being there. Right. It uh, runs dangerously close to a pun, but you kind of have to be really in focus. Uh, both a, <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So emerging technologies, I think you took us through a fair amount of that. Uh, you also mentioned that you have your smartphone with you at all times, or with the exception when you take that long walk. Uh, do you ever, have you ever taken a great photo with, with a smartphone? Uh, yeah, actually I have. And, uh, you know, I I might put the camera down and leave it at home, but I always have my smartphone with me. Yeah. What was and, an example? Uh, yeah, of a, had, yeah, give me an example of a shot you took. Oh, let's see. Uh, there was a time I took a walk, and there was a pond frozen, semi-frozen, and it had just snowed about a foot, and there were swans right close to me, and I took a picture uh, with the phone. And then I ran home and got my <laughs> camera. That was it. That was the end of my nice walk. Uh, <laughs> ran home and, and got my camera and came back. And I actually 
got an even better shot with oh, the nice. regular camera. But yeah, there are, I have a lot of pictures that I've shot with my uh, phone that, right. to the point that I call it a camera that also makes phone calls. Right. I think, I think most of us who like photography have come to that conclusion. And now a heresy is uh, having your big SLR. And by the way, what, what's your weapon of choice now? What, uh, camera do you use is on a regular basis well like and since we're talking about technology uh and my age i have just switched from uh a nikon i mean i've shot with nikon i've shot with canon i used to shoot with a with the eight by ten and four by five cameras where you put the cape over your head that's how <laughs> old i am and uh now I'm using a mirrorless camera, okay. and it's so much lighter, and that it's you know my back loves it, and I hardly know I have a camera on my back. And what what brand do you favor now? Uh, I'm using Olympus now. I, I tried the uh, the Fuji, yeah. and I also tried the Sony. The, both really good. Nikon's come out with a mirrorless. Canon has just come out with a mirrorless. So I think this is the the future. Now uh, this may be heresy, but have you ever shot in automatic setting? Mm. I'd have to say no, I've not. Okay. Um, <clears throat> uh, but it's not. Again, the cameras are at the point um, where they. You can just put it on program or automatic, and the cameras will do all of the thinking for you because they know what lens you have on, right, right. and they know how slow they can do it. But I, I'm a control freak, so yeah. okay. I want to know what the shutter, you know, I, I come from the old school. Right. Okay. Well, uh, how about, and I, I suspect this will be a short answer, but <clears throat> if you look back in your career, any major things you would have done differently? Um, no, I mean, yeah. when you've had the absolute perfect career, you know, uh, say thank you a little more. All right. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> and somewhat related, you've used the phrase luck, uh, during this discussion. And so I, I, maybe you can highlight that any good luck and in, in what good luck you've had and how it's played a role in your career. Uh, you know, you've alluded to some. Any any uh, response you'd like to give to good luck in your career? I think you know the the good luck again. You make your own luck if you work hard enough. You make your own luck. But being you know, we talk also about being in the right place at the right time. And uh, to make a short story long, I saw a gentleman in New York. It was two weeks that I came to New York. I saw a gentleman who actually looked at my pictures and, uh, and he, he worked for time life books. Well, when I returned to New York five years later, I looked him up and, uh, reconnected with him. And about six months later, they restarted life magazine up and he came up as the assistant photo director. And, uh, he gave me my first chance at Life Magazine after two other people had messed up a shot. Okay. And uh, that one opportunity opened all the doors that followed. Uh, so that, that was lucky. 
and being in several times, being in the right place, you know, seeing somebody at the right time when they happen to have an assignment coming across their desk at that moment, I call that luck. Right. Um, and somewhat related and, to that, uh, and for all of our people that listen, it's the we call it networking now, but staying in contact with people, and sometimes it, it will take three or four uh, interactions over a five-year period, but staying uh, attached to people gets rewarded over a career, and I think that's the example you're talking about. Absolutely, and and usually, if I had a, if I got a job from a client, I knew that that client was going to be mine for years um, because I would establish a personal relationship, uh, or would try to, with that person, okay. and to live for the goods, which was number one. Good. As far as bad luck is concerned, it works exactly the same in the opposite direction. You're in some place, you're in at some magazine or some ad agency. And then a new person comes in and uh, then the new person is in charge and they usually feel like they're brought in to change things. And so if you're in, then they probably want to look to their own people. Right. Relationship. So the worst driven. thing you can, Yeah. And yeah. so they're not really interested on who's in the stable. And so uh, they move on and that, Pretty much was the bad luck that I had um, at National Geographic when a new person came in and Fox bought National Geographic. And uh, this new person uh, decided that um, I wasn't really needed there anymore. So wonderful run at the Yellow Magazine. But I continued to work with National Geographic uh, through their fine art galleries and their expeditions uh, in every other aspect there, but that was that was the bad luck I've had in my career. Uh, how about in these are in the uh, in the field situations? Any funny or exciting stories that you'd like to share? You know, being chased by a lion or a grizzly bear or anything you can relate? Um, there, yeah, you know, there are. There are many stories uh, after 40 years, you know, being uh, swamped in shark infested waters uh, off the coast of Costa Rica with all my camera gear. Mm. But uh, it was just a matter of about somewhere between two hours and a lifetime in the water uh, before we were rescued. In specifically in a photo shoot situation uh, for amateurs or budding photographers, uh, an example where patience was rewarded, uh, an example of just opportunistic shooting, meaning it wasn't planned. Most of your shoots, you've talked to how careful you have to plan things out. So those two areas, those two bookends, one where you're rewarded for patience, give me an example, and then an example of you happened to just be there and it was point and click. I've had a number of instances where... I had planned something out, um, such as perhaps I had uh, one time in the Adirondacks, I was shooting for National Geographic Traveler magazine, and I had arranged for a fishing guide to meet me at this pond to stand up in this Adirondack guide boat at sunrise for this shot I had in my mind. But he never showed up, but I took pictures of the 
guide boat in this setting with white face in the background at sunrise. And that picture ended up on the cover of the magazine oh, where big. if he had shown up, I, he probably, you know, he probably would have been out there fly fishing. I probably would not have gotten the shot that's, that ended up on the cover. That's a good um, example. Yeah. And, and patience. And another, uh, yeah, go ahead, Michael. Sorry. Another example, uh, Along those lines was I had photographed, I was photographing a, a woman down in the Georgia Sea Isles uh, off of the coast of Georgia. And uh, I had a beautiful Moscow plane and she was wearing a white dress and she was, it was beautiful light. And I was photographing, I was very happy. And there was a house to my left and the woman came out of the house and said, well, I have a pet deer. Would you like the pet deer? And so we put the deer in the picture with her walking down the lane. And uh, that, too, ended up on the cover of oh, National Geographic Traveler magazine. That's spectacular. Um, but patience, you know, when I'm out in, in nature, uh, I am not rushed at all. And I generally, if I'm shooting late afternoon or if I'm shooting birds or animals, I'm just... It's really not, to me, it's not a matter of being patient. It's really a matter of just enjoying being there. Okay. And I'm going to stay there till I can't see anymore. Okay. And uh, so it's, you know, patience always pays off, but it's a lot easier to be patient when you like being where you are. Right. From your perspective, what are the top two photos you've ever taken? Very tough question, impossible, unfair but I'll still ask it. Uh, well, I, I have very few of my own photographs hanging in my house, but I will tell you about two of them. One is a picture, uh, was the picture that made me decide to go to New York and become a photographer. Uh, that was taken in, in 1976 when I was on the commune. So that picture is two fall maple trees in the fog, and uh, it hangs in my office, and uh, I love that picture. And the other one was shot on my very first assignment for uh, National Geographic. We call it magazine, the Maine magazine. It was a story on Acadia National Park in Maine, shot from a helicopter at sunrise, as the fog again fog in the trees and the the sun lighting the fog and the trees and creating shadows. Uh, and I have that blown up pretty big in my living room. I love that picture as well. And I think that's on your website at michaelmelford.com, right? Now, uh, it you don't shoot in black and white that I'm aware of. Uh, I was going to ask you your favorite photographer. And immediately when you think of outdoor photography, you go to Ansel Adams and, and someone like that. Uh, do you shoot in black and white, or is it long-standing that you just like the impact of color and what that does? Well, you know, in my house, again, in my house, uh, the other photographs that are in my house that are hanging are mostly black and white and okay. mostly older photographers, uh, photographers that have passed away. Okay. Uh, and Ansel Adams probably is the number one influence for me both early mid and now right uh, every time i look at his work i'm amazed yeah 
And then there were uh, a couple of other photographers. Ernst Haas uh, is another photographer that I've always admired and also uh, have one of his, his images right. hanging in the house. Well, uh, thank you very much for the time, uh, Michael. This has been spectacular. I've enjoyed it. I'm sure the listeners have enjoyed it. So, uh, again, thank you very much, and thank you for your artistry. Will do, Fred. Thank you. <laughs>